You're listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us at 1pc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee. This morning our scripture reading is coming from the book of Mark. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, not just 1 and 2, but 1 through 12. This is the parable of the tenants. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent to him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, First Presbyterian Covington. It is a joy uh, to be back with you guys again, and uh, I want to thank uh, Dr. Seeley for the opportunity to come and join you guys again, and I am enjoying seeing his trip uh, on Instagram. I've been living vicariously through him as he's in Europe right now, and he's, uh, he deserves that. He's getting some well-deserved time off, so thankful for him and his family. Uh, I want to pray one more time, and we're going to get into God's Word. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name, just praying that you would uh, speak to our hearts this morning. We need you and we love you, and uh, we just pray for the Seeley family as they are in Europe, that you would be with them uh, and bless their time. I pray they will be restful uh, and a time for them to experience you and enjoy you more. It's in your mighty sons, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, my wife Ashley and I uh, rent an apartment in downtown Memphis, and so I said we rent an apartment in downtown Memphis. But sometimes I tend to take the attitude of an owner. I kind of walk around like I own the place and I have to be reminded that Terrence, you are just a renter. And so one scenario came up uh, where we were having a little little challenge with our our renting space. We we had been promised that we were gonna get a gate to go around our parking area. And so we signed a lease and we were told that at some point you're gonna get a gate to go around the parking space. And so an entire year went by and we still didn't get that gate. And so I I started to think like an owner. So I said, baby, I've had enough. I'm gonna head down to that office 
and I'm going to show them who's boss because they haven't put a gate around my parking lot. So I, I'm having this attitude of an owner, forgetting that I'm a renter. And so I began to walk to the office on one afternoon uh, with this attitude of this owner that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I'm going to tell him because my dad was the president uh, of the Homeowners Association. And so this is in my blood. I know how to do this. I can, I can get something done. And so, but as I was walking, a still small voice began to speak to me and began to speak some common sense into my mind. And it said, Terrence, you guys are just renting. You don't own this place. And if you get you and Ashley kicked out of this place, your wife is going to kill you. So you better be very mindful of your words. And so I walk into the office that still small voice is still speaking to me. And I see a, a young lady that I've never met before. She says, can I help you, sir? I say, yes, I would like to file a complaint. And so it's going the way I thought it was going to go in my head at this point, like big bad Terrence is going to go in here and get some things changed. And then I hear a voice from on high from upstairs say, Terrence, is that you? That was our property manager. <laughs> and when I heard that authority in her voice, my attitude began to change. And suddenly I realized that I am not the owner of this place. Uh, that I am just a renter. She said, how can I help you, Terrence? And this was supposed to be my moment. This was supposed to be the moment that I laid down the hammer and I, I set things straight because I own the joint, right? And this is what actually came out of my mouth. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if the gate for the apartment is going to get put up soon. Not so much bass in my voice and not so much authority. See, we have to manage things a little differently when we're managing someone else's stuff. Uh, when we are managing something that belongs to someone else, when we are managing something that belongs to someone else, we have to be a little bit more careful because it's theirs. And ultimately, we're going to have to give it back. And this is our big idea for the day. We treat things differently when we know that we have to give them back. We treat things differently when we know that we have to give them back. So today, we're going to be talking about stewardship. We're going to be talking about stewardship. And stewardship is this. Stewardship is the management of God's resources. Stewardship is the management of God's resources. And stewardship begins with acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. Stewardship begins with acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. The whole idea of stewardship is predicated upon the fact that Christ is the ultimate authority and the owner of all things. And we ultimately are only renters. Everything is his. Everything is his. Every breath, every dollar, every second of our life, every fiber of our being and our existence belongs to God. But when we lose that reality, when we lose that understanding, when we do like I did and begin to take the attitude of the owner of all things instead of just a renter of God's things, we begin to, to fall downhill just a little bit. When we begin to start saying things like, this is my house, or this is my money, or this is my land, this is my food, kids, this is my toy. When we begin to take that attitude uh, it's a sign that we have lost a grip on the reality that actually we're just renters and everything that we have belongs to our God, a very good and gracious and generous God who's given uh, himself to us and who has given everything that we possess to us. And so 
as we come to our text in Mark chapter 12, we're going to hear from Jesus speaking to a group of people who have lost grip of the reality that they are just stewards, that they are just renters. And these renters in the text have been entrusted with much. They've been entrusted with the stewardship and the management of God's house. They've been entrusted with the stewardship and the management of the temple of God. And they've kind of lost sight of that. And they took control of the situation and are starting to act like they own the place. And so we're going to spend our time looking at that parable. And I want to read it just once more for us. This is the parable of the tenants. It says, and he began to speak to, the, to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into the country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Now, this is the vineyard that he had leased to them. Uh, and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. And, and again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and they killed and so with many others, so they beat some, they killed. He had sent one another, uh, one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in their eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. There's a lot going on in this parable, right? And one thing we can see for sure is that it begins with the word and. It says, and he began speaking to them in parables. What that tells us is this, is that something of significance was going on in Mark chapter 11. Right? There's somebody that he's speaking to. So in Mark chapter 11, we're going to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is actually speaking to and why he's taking this tone with this parable. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, you can meet me in Mark chapter 11 because we're going to spend a little time there looking at Mark chapter 11 because this parable won't quite make sense without a clear understanding that went on before Jesus began to speak uh, to this group of people in parables. So who is Jesus speaking to? Uh, Jesus is speaking to the chief priests uh, and scribes. Right? They were the people who had been entrusted with the management of the temple in Jerusalem. All of this is taking place in Holy Week. Uh, most scholars believe that this uh, event that we're reading took place on a Tuesday. Right? But Jesus has been getting himself in trouble with the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests since Sunday. So we're going to take a look back at Sunday. Mark chapter 11 uh, puts us on Sunday, uh, which we call Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. And so all week long, and it's just Tuesday, guys, he has been getting himself in trouble with these chief priests and scribes. And so uh, Sunday, let's start there. Sunday, uh, in Mark chapter 11, we'll see that Jesus enters Jerusalem uh, at the beginning of Holy Week. And so this is the most prominent and significant religious week in world history, and this is the most prominent and significant city in all of religious history. 
And on that week, Jesus comes in on the, in, in what we call as the triumphant entry. He enters Jerusalem on a donkey to the praises of Hosanna. Uh, some of the people in Jerusalem are acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah, as king. Uh, this is uh, increasing that tension between Jesus and the chief priests and scribes and all of the religious leaders of his day because they're like, who is this guy coming in here? And he has all of this fanfare and people are acknowledging his teaching. And just to give you an idea of what was going on in Jerusalem on this Sunday, it was extreme fanfare. Just imagine, uh, I'm thinking of downtown Memphis. Imagine downtown Memphis and the University of Memphis just won the national championship for basketball. And there's this huge parade and people are throwing candy and everything. And uh, Penny Hardaway is riding down the street with a national championship. It's that type of environment in Jerusalem, all of this fanfare. And all of this attention is going to Jesus. And so that increases the tension and the friction between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. They're thinking to themselves, who is this nobody from Nazareth? This is Joseph's boy, the carpenter. Who is this man? And so this is Sunday, and they're already mad at him, guys. Monday comes around, and this is, once again, the most significant religious week in all of world history, the most significant uh, religious city. And now Jesus is about to enter the most significant religious place, the temple in Jerusalem. This is where uh, the, the Jewish believers of that day would come and make their sacrifices uh, to the Lord. And so it was a very busy place. and It was a very significant place. And so Jesus enters uh, the temple. And in the entrance of the temple, there was a lot of activity. And so because people were traveling great distances uh, to make their sacrifices on Holy Week, uh, you had a, a, an exchange, a money exchange area. And so people were exchanging their currency and because they couldn't spend the foreign currency inside of the temple. So people are exchanging money. You have all of that activity. Well, some people had traveled great distances uh, to make their sacrifices and make their offering to the Lord. And so you couldn't really well, some people could, but not everybody wanted to bring a lamb with them or to bring a pigeon with them or a dove with them. So you would actually buy the animal for the sacrifices at the temple. So you had that business going on. So people are exchanging currency. Uh, people are uh, purchasing animals for their offering. Nothing is innately wrong with that. That's not what ultimately makes Jesus mad. This is what makes uh, Jesus mad. Because we're going to see Jesus get mad. He's going to be big mad, as they say. And so... Uh, what was happening was as people were exchanging their currency in the temple uh, to get the correct currency, uh, the people who managed the temple, the chief priests in, uh, in particular, had a high uh, exchange rate on the money. And so they were taking advantage of people's uh, desire to exchange their money and need to exchange their money. And they were putting this huge tax on it. And so that was happening. And on top of that, uh, certain people had to buy lesser expensive animals like doves and pigeons. We hear in Leviticus, uh, God says that if a poor man can't purchase a lamb, let him purchase a dove or a pigeon for his sacrifice. And so people were charging more for the price of those doves and those pigeons than they should have been. So there was a, a whole lot of immorality going on inside of the temple. And this made Jesus angry as it, as it uh, should have. Uh, he, he is the son of God. He, he is the Messiah. And he's coming to purify the worship in the temple. And this was tainting God's worship in the temple. This was supposed to be a holy place. And these things are going on in the entrance of the temple. And so what happens? Does Jesus just 
uh, let it go on? Is, is, is Jesus just okay with this? Absolutely not. Not only is he not okay with it, he's even more upset with the people that he had left in charge of the temple. His, his, most, uh, uh, his, his biggest conflict is with the chief priests because they knew that this was going on and they were profiting off of everything that was taking place in the temple. And so they were very complicit to it. And so let's read Mark chapter 11, 11 through 15. Um, and this, is, this gives us a, the, the clearer picture. It says, and this is Jesus and his disciples. And they came to Jerusalem and, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and bought in the temple. He, were, he was driving people out of the temple. He says, get out of here. Get out of here with that type of uh, uh, foolishness and immorality in my father's house. So he began to drive those who sold and those who bought. And he overturned the tables of the money changers. And the, and the seats of those who sold pigeons, because remember, the pigeons were for the poor, and now you're manipulating the poor, you're taking advantage of them. So he, he's turning over tables, he's turning over seats, um, and it says, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Remember, this is Jesus from Nazareth. In their minds, this is, he's a nobody from nowhere. Who is this guy? Who, who, gives, them, who gives him this kind of authority? Uh, but he's not allowing anyone to walk through the temple. And it says, it says this in verse 17, and he, be, and he began, and he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. It says that Jesus was kicking people out of the temple essentially, flipping tables and teaching at the same time. Jesus was a bad man. He was a bad man. He is teaching and flipping tables and he's shutting down the house, and it's not a fun day for the chief priests and scribes because Jesus had come to purify the worship in the temple. He cares about the, the condition of our hearts. He didn't care that the rituals were just going on. He didn't care about the money that was coming in. He was, he was concerned about the reality that people needed a real relationship with God and that God's house needed to be purified and God's temple needed to be purified. And he was no longer going to let this go on because he not only cares about the ritual and, and religious activity happening, he cares about the condition of our hearts. And this applies to us in our modern day context. God doesn't just want our religious acts he doesn't just want our Sundays. He wants our hearts. And we have to be very careful that we're not just giving him our Sundays, and that we're not just giving him our activities, but that we're giving him our hearts. Um, I heard a story that kind of broke my heart uh, in Memphis. My friend owns a nonprofit, which causes him to have to raise funds from time to time. And he was telling me a story of a potential donor who said to him, yeah, I'm not a Christian, really, and I know God's mad at me, but I'm going to write you this $40,000 check and give it to your business because I know that God is going to get me one day. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bargain with him now. So I give away 15% of everything that I make uh, because, you know, I have to bargain with God. And I'm thinking to myself, that is just, that's, that's sad, uh, first and foremost, but, that's, but that also isn't who God is, and that's not how God operates. He's not uh, judging us according to how big our offering 
is, first of all, and he doesn't play that kind of game, uh, that kind of exchange game with us. Uh, what I wish that my brother who's writing those kind of texts would acknowledge is the fact that uh, our God is a God of grace, and he doesn't ask us to give to him so that we can receive his love. He, he gives abundantly, and, give, and by his grace, gives us the opportunity to steward everything that he's given us uh, for his glory. And, and it's easy to look at that guy and say, my God, that's just a horrible guy. But we all have that tendency to want to play an exchange game with God. And he doesn't want that kind of religious exchange. He, he, he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our time. But he allows us to be invited into everything that he's doing. And he gives, gives us resources to steward those resources for his glory. And so uh, I've lived in both Dallas and Memphis. And one thing I know is that we're, we're going to do church in, in the Bible Belt. And, and we're going we're gonna to continue in the activity because that's what we do in the Bible Belt. But God wants our hearts. He doesn't necessarily need our activity. He wants our worship to be purified. And so I want to continue in verse 18. How, how, how do the priests respond to Jesus coming and uh, exercising this authority in the temple? Are they happy about it? Are they happy about being confronted with what he's saying about uh, the purity of worship in the temple? I don't, think, I don't think they're happy. Verse 18, and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Monday, he enters Jerusalem on a donkey to all of this fanfare. Tuesday, he enters the, enters the temple, flips tables, teaches a hard word to the people, and, and, and takes authority in the temple. The people, uh, the, the chief priests and the scribes are not happy, and it's just Monday. Let's look at Tuesday. Um, and that's Mark chapter 12, verses, uh, I mean, Mark chapter 11, verses 27 now. Uh, and they came again to Jerusalem, speaking of the disciples. And they came again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. This is Jesus to the religious leaders of his day. He asked them, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe me? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is one more showdown with Jesus and the chief priests and scribes. And, and they're saying, he's saying, they're saying rather, uh, answer this question, by what authority do you do these things, Jesus? And he responds with a question, well, let me ask you a question, I'll answer your question. Uh, is the baptism of John from God or from man? Now this is a hard question for the chief priests and scribes, because if it's from uh, God, well, we all know that John baptized Jesus uh, and, and, and if that's an authoritative act from God, well, Jesus is 
ordained to do this work from God, and we can't let that be correct and true. Well, if we say that the baptism isn't from God and that it came from man, well, there are a lot of people who like John the Baptist. And if we discredit John the Baptist in front of all of these people, they're going to be really upset with us. And we're kind of running a business anyway, and we don't want to upset everybody. And this is Holy Week. This is a big week for us. We're expecting a lot to come in this week. So let's just say that we don't know. And so Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, neither do I. Carry on. And so that's why we get to Mark chapter 12. And it says, and he began to speak to them in parables. Let me, he said, let me clarify this. All right. Since you want to know the answer uh, to why, where do I get my authority? And that's where we get Mark chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. And what I want to do is to help us just deconstruct this parable some. Uh, who is the landowner in the temple, the, 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 uh, in the parable rather? The parable speaks of a, a man having land and leasing that land to some tenants. Uh, the, the, the landowner in that parable is God himself. He, he, is, he is the Lord, right? He's the one who, who owns all things. So the landowner uh, is God. Right? It says that he planted a vineyard. What is that vineyard? That vineyard is actually Israel, all right? Israel is the vineyard. Uh, we see that in Isaiah chapter 5. I'll read it. It says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And so God uh, is the man who planted the, planted the vineyard. The vineyard is Israel. So he left tenants. Who are the tenants? The tenants are the religious leaders and the kings uh, of, of Israel's history who have been entrusted with the management of God's people. God left uh, the vineyard here. He left Israel here to be cared for by the chief priests uh, and the scribes. And, and they had become poor managers uh, of Israel. And on top of that, uh, they had become wicked managers of Israel. As we, could, as we remember with the temple, they were mismanaging God's people in God's house. Uh, and so the tenants are the religious leaders of Israel, such as the priests, scribes, and even Israel's uh, previous kings. So who are the servants? So we heard in the parable that God continued to send various servants uh, to the vineyard. And those servants got beat up. Those servants got kicked out of the vineyard. Those servants even got killed. Who are those servants? The servants are the various prophets that God had sent to Israel time and time and time again. And when God would send a prophet to Israel, uh, oftentimes that prophet would be killed. All right. And so they, the people were unresponsive to the word of God. They were unresponsible, uh, unresponsive to God's truth. And so time after time after time, God sent prophets to Israel. Well, who's the son in this story? The son is Christ himself. The son is Jesus. So after all of that time of sending prophet after prophet after prophet, God finally sends his son. And Jesus is hoping that the, that the uh, scribes and Pharisees are starting to get this now. Wink, wink. I'm the son. And guess what you do to the son? You kill him too. All right. And so at this moment, we see how sovereign God truly is. Jesus is telling the chief priests and scribes, I know that you're going to kill me. I know how this thing works. God sends someone, speaks the truth. You kill that person when you're confronted with the truth. Well, aha, I'm the son. I'm here. And I know that you're going to kill me too. But God is so sovereign. God is so in control. He knows that the story does not end there. And so, uh, so we have the son. Son is Jesus. And so it says that the vineyard will be given to the others. Who are the others? 
Uh, the others are the church, that's you and I, that consists of the Jews and Gentiles. And so Jesus is showing this big picture, right? And so I want to make sure we got it. God is the landowner. Israel is the vineyard. The tenants are the religious leaders of Israel. The servants are the prophets that God has sent. The son is Jesus, and the others are the church. That's you and I. And so Jesus is speaking this parable uh, to the chief priests and scribes, knowing that they're going to kill him. But it doesn't stop with the death of the son. This is the good news. This is the good part. So what will the owner do? And this isn't the good news, this part, for those who uh, killed the son. There is judgment. Jesus is also speaking judgment over these chief priests and scribes. So what will the owner do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to the others. That's the church. And he says, have you not read this scripture that the, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Jesus is saying it doesn't stop at the death of the son, but there will be a resurrection. And the, the stone that the builders rejected, the stone that you guys are rejected, chief priests and scribes, the person that you are rejecting at this very moment, chief priests and scribes, uh, that person will become the cornerstone, right? And so the, the, the temple, as, as some of us know, uh, was ultimately destroyed. That physical temple in Israel isn't there anymore. It, it, it was destroyed. But the new temple is the house of God. The new temple is, is you and I. We are the temple, the church, the people. We're living stones, all right? God has not put his dwelling in a particular building, but his dwelling is now in the people of God, in the church. And Jesus is saying that I am the cornerstone. I am the person that's going to hold all of this together. And so uh, just a recap, uh, this parable took place on a Tuesday. Uh, Jesus was arrested, uh, uh, eventually is arrested on a Thursday. He's crucified on a Friday and he's resurrected on a Sunday. And Jesus has the clear picture of all of this. So he's not worried about these chief priests and scribes. And all of us can have hope that our God is sovereign. We see the picture of a sovereign God who uh, in the midst of all of this conflict that he had been going through all week, he knows the bigger picture. And you and I can also be confident in a bigger picture. Through life's trials, through the trepidations, through everything, we can be confident that there's a bigger picture to everything. Because our God is sovereign. Our God is ultimately in control. I'd like to leave us just with three points of application as we think about what it means for us to be stewards of God's resources we saw that the chief priests and scribes were not the best uh, stewards of God's resources. They were not the best stewards of the things that God had given them. Uh, I pray that you and I would, would, would be found faithful. And uh, the first point of application is this. You and I are the new temple of God, and we should live as such. You and I are the new temple of God, and we should live as such, we've already established that there's no physical temple for us to go to. The, the temple of God is, us, is in us. God uh, dwells in us. We're the new temple. And just as he turned over tables in that temple in Jerusalem, he also wants to turn over some tables in our hearts. He wants to purify us from the inside out. He wants us to be his dwelling place. And so if God is... Uh, and you feel like you're, if you feel like you're wrestling with God on some particular things, God may be uh, trying to turn over some tables in your heart as well. And I would say to you, let him. Let God turn over 
anything in your heart that he needs to turn over in your heart because he is good and he's faithful. And he wants us to have a real intimate relationship with him because you and I are his new dwelling place. The church is the, uh, is, is, is the family of God. We're the people of God and God dwells in us. Uh, secondly, you and I are renters and not owners and we should manage our resources as such. You and I are renter, renters and not owners and we should manage our resources as such. We have a sweet opportunity uh, to use the gifts that God has given us uh, for his glory. We have this sweet opportunity. God has entrusted us with various things. And sometimes we might not realize how much that we have. It's a good, it's a good opportunity for us sometimes to just sit down. And uh, it's a good idea just to sit down and take inventory. Lord, what have you put in my hands? What, do, what have you given me to use for your glory? What am I holding on to too tightly? Uh, what do I need to acknowledge uh, is, is yours? What, what is yours that I'm holding on to too, uh, too tightly? And so we've been given this opportunity to steward everything from our time to the money that God gives us, uh, to our space and our homes, uh, things that we love a lot, like our family. Ultimately, our family even belongs to God, and, and we should steward everything uh, to his glory, and we, we should manage it like it's his. And even if we have a job that we don't necessarily like, we should go to work with the attitude that this is the job that God has given me, and I need to work it and steward it for his glory. And lastly, you and I have limited time on earth, so invest eternally. Uh, stock market is all right. Investments, 401ks, all that stuff is cool, but we should be investing eternally. We should be uh, sowing seeds that will one day reap their biggest harvest in eternity. We should be uh, stewarding the gospel that God has given us to a lost and dying world that really needs it. We should invest our life in knowing our Lord and Savior because when all else is gone, that's all uh, that will last. And so uh, lastly, like I said, you and I have limited time on earth, so uh, invest eternally. And we don't want to be like the chief priests and scribes who basically told Jesus, Jesus, who do you think you are? That was their attitude when he entered the temple. Jesus, who do you think you are? Riding in town on a donkey, getting all this attention, turning over tables in the temple, responding to us with these smart aleck questions. Jesus, who do you think you are? And he says that he is the Lord. He is the Lord and Savior of all and the stewardship of all things begins with acknowledging that he is Lord and he is a good God. He is a faithful God. And uh, this message uh, can make God sounds like he's just this angry God who's mad at his enemies. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that God is just this angry God. I would say that God is a just God and God is a patient God. Uh, and he will bring judgment on his enemies. And we do not want to be one of his enemies but what we see in this passage that, is that God is so patient uh, with us because he didn't just send one servant uh, to the people of Israel. He sent many prophets, prophet after prophet after prophet. Many of us would have given up, right? He sent the first one, they kicked him out. We would have probably given up after that. He sent another one, they killed him. We definitely probably would have given up after that. He eventually sent his son and they killed him, right? But he was so patient with the people. And we, we serve a patient God who's patient 
with you? And why, we, why wouldn't we want to entrust our hearts to a God like that? Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you uh, for the fact that you are so patient, that you are so loving. God, show us how to manage what you have given us. When we're discontent with what we have, God, remind us of how wealthy we are in you. Uh, Father God, I pray that we will be found faithful, uh, that we will be found faithful to your work, uh, but, remind, but being reminded always that all of the work of our hands uh, has been given to us by you. You see, in mighty sons, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And you've been listening to a sermon from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Covington, Tennessee. Our mission is to proclaim Christ's kingdom through word and deed. You can learn more about us and listen to other sermons at onepc-covington.org or join us for worship at 403 South Main Street, Covington, Tennessee.